Hi, I'm Brett Terpstra, and this is Systematic, Episode 13. Bandwidth for October has been provided by Cashfly, the fastest, most reliable CDN in the business. Cashfly delivers all of our content here at 5x5, and they really are the best. Check them out at cashfly.com and let them know you heard about them on 5x5. I'm joined this week by Todd Munt. Did I say that correctly? Munt is correct, yes. Todd Munt, and you are Editorial Director of Digital Services at National Public Radio. Right. That is, that's an impressive uh, job position. What all does that entail? Well, it, uh, it covers a couple of things. Um, one piece is a very large training initiative that we're undertaking with uh, public radio stations all over the country. I mean, you know, we're like most of, of the journalism industry, print and television and radio, we're all dealing with differing levels of disruptive change. And so what we're trying to do for the radio side is make sure that these public radio stations, some of them very big and some of them very small, have the kind of tools and training that they need in order to be successful on digital platforms. So that might be, you know, learning how to write for the web. A lot of these stations, you know, they have people who have been in radio for years, but they don't really think about print. And so we're training them to be really good at creating blogs and creating presences online or maybe being more innovative in terms of audio and that kind of thing. So there's a whole training infrastructure. And then the other piece is, you know, strategy for for radio stations. What is a what is a way to think of ourselves um, that keeps us viable five years down the line, six years, seven years, you know, with with Internet coming to car and with mobile use exploding over the past year and continuing to grow at this tremendous pace. So it's a really interesting kind of environment to be in. And for someone who's been in radio for a long time, I've been in radio since I was a kid. I think it's really fascinating right now because things are changing so much. So it's kind of an exciting uh, business. It is definitely uh, one area of media that uh, is probably changing faster and and probably doing a better job of adapting than some of the older uh, media sources, newspaper, print, et cetera. Yeah, I kind of feel that way. Um, although, you know, the, the the train, sometimes I feel like there may be a train coming toward us and the lights haven't come on yet, so we can <laughs> see it. Um, you know, so, yeah, I mean, television is struggling a little bit. They're kind of holding on to an old model until that doesn't work anymore, and definitely newspapers are struggling. But... Um, I think, you know, somebody somebody in, in public radio uh, who's a really good tech strategist said, you know, that newspapers didn't lose audience first. Um, they got the revenue uh, stool kicked out, the leg, you know, of the, of the stool kicked out from underneath of them with Craigslist and, and that kind of disruptive change. And so in radio, we look at our audience and think, oh, we're doing really well. But any kind of major change, even a, a change in, you know, like federal funding for public broadcasting risk could could knock a leg out, you know, from underneath the stool that's keeping this thing going. So we got to be careful. Sure. And uh, the other thing that you mentioned to me that you do is you do uh, audible books. Yeah. Tell me about that. Um, I do magazines uh, for Audible, and uh, I don't think they'll let me record a book because I, I do it in my closet, which is working <laughs> right now. So it's a very, you know, high-quality recording studio. I have clothes on either side of me and then a blanket kind of hanging in front of me, and then I have the door closed approximately two inches behind where I'm sitting. Um, although, actually, it's really amazingly quiet for what it is. But I record um, The New Yorker every other week. 
Uh, there's about a two-hour version of The New Yorker that's created for Audible. And then I also do uh, Harvard Business Review, which I just uh, did this morning for October. That comes out in a few days. And uh, Technology Review, uh, which comes from, uh, I think it's still affiliated with uh, MIT. So it's uh, from this part of the world where I am in, uh, in Boston. So you, you are well-read, obviously, I'm well narrated, <laughs> I guess. But no, I actually do. I, it's really fun to read that stuff because it's stuff that I would read or would find really interesting anyway. And so, yeah, I mean, I kind of, you know, I get paid at least a small amount to actually do it. I guarantee you, you have way more idea what's going on right now than I do. Um, in the I, world, it, it, right now, here, I don't know, uh, it just in general, I think you probably just by, uh, even if it were just osmosis, I think you are probably a far more knowledgeable person than I am. I don't know. I feel like we all kind of disappear into the worlds, you know, into the things that interest us and we kind of pop out. I mean, some people are really into news like all the time and they're into whatever, you know, and they're fully connected. You get the sense that they've, they've never, they never really shut down at all. And I'm not one of those people. I kind of like bury my head in the sand and do the things I'm really into and read the stories I'm interested in, the technology and the Apple stuff and, and all that kind of stuff. And I pop up every once in a while and go, oh, there's a presidential campaign. Or, <laughs> you know, I mean, maybe you're in that kind of situation. We may not be that different. It's possible. I tend to, I tend to go off on my little, uh, my little coding adventures. And completely lose track, even of what's, you know, trending on Twitter, even trending within my stream. I just, I, I'll go a couple of days before I have any idea that the rest of the world really exists. That's kind of a good thing. I mean, it's a level of concentration. And, you know, I suppose any any approach that we have has certain consequences, positive and negative. But I feel there is something good about that when you can, you know, you can really put your head down and just dig into something and not let yourself get distracted by a thousand other things. Even if you wanted to. <laughs> right. So much focus. Um, you ever see Cemetery Man? No. Oh, great flick. Um, there's a scene where they're going through a tunnel in a car. They're driving. They're trying to get away from the, the town where the cemetery is. He's the cemetery keeper. And they all of a sudden bright light and they screech to a halt and they're seeing daylight for the first time in a while and their eyes are adjusting and as it as the camera backs off, they're on like a ledge. The road just like breaks off, and they're looking out over vast nothingness. And he says, "I I should have known the rest of the world doesn't really exist." <laughs> and that's the feeling I get sometimes when I come out of these rabbit holes, and just oh, maybe I wasn't missing anything after all. Yeah, well, and that's that's sometimes a thing, you know. I I, I guess people may look at the things I'm really interested in and say, well, you know, it, the the world of technology or or Apple or any of this other stuff is just this, you know, continuous round robin of new products and complaints and praise and all the rest. But I find it really interesting, and so you know, that's where I've chosen to kind of bury my head, I guess. But each of us has probably those areas. Well, m most of us do. I think that the problem arises when. Uh... Like in the case of ADHD, where you just, you, you have attention to so many areas at once, you yeah. know, where, where you just, you lose that ability to really dig in. And I really appreciate the fact that I've been able to, to bury my head like that. I think you're right. That's probably a, a really good thing. 
Or there's a, it was something you talked about on an episode uh, of the show with uh, Michael Schechter mm-hmm. um, a few episodes back. Um, and I think this, this particular concept can apply broadly to all of us, whether or not we have issues with, you know, ADHD. And, and that's this idea of cultivating a bunch of interests versus cultivating skills. Um, I, I've said this to you before. I think that's a very interesting kind of place where like when I, when I heard you guys talk about that, it stopped me in my tracks because I thought, you know, there's all this stuff I'm interested in. Um, and it's like, I get into this shallow pool and I kind of splash around in it. Like, you know, I've mentioned already, I like Apple. I like technology. Um, I like reading about business issues. I like reading history. Um, I love food and I love wine and I kind of get into all of these different little waiting pools and I splash around in them and I absorb just a little bit and then I run on my way. Um, and there's a lot of, there are a lot of miles wide, inches deep kinds of experiences in my life. And I think I'm being challenged to try to dig a little bit deeper into them. Some of that's you know, just focusing and and being more attentive. But some of it is also just the commitment to say, um, like with wine, I really love wine and I don't know anything about Italian wine. That's been a black hole in my life for years. I don't understand it beyond like a couple of very simple things. So I, I bought a book by two um, reputable authors who understand Italian wine really well and I dug into it and I'm taking notes on it. And I'm thinking about it. And I'm drinking wine at the same time while I'm reading it. And, you know, actually trying to make sure that that interest becomes something that's, I'm not, you know, it doesn't have to be a skill like I'm going to become a master sommelier. It's more like um, I'm going to add something to that. So I've actually got something there. So it's not that, you know, I can spout off two facts. And if anybody else asks me another question, I don't have anything to offer anymore. I've actually got something there that is a little bit more meaty. I have found in in my uh, interactions with people that, I don't think I'm I don't I don't think I have a mile deep knowledge of anything. Like I think I have miles wide you know subject material and an inch of depth on everything, but I found a lot of the things that I'm most uh able to converse about in depth are things I don't even realize are to me skills, to me they're just interests until I start talking about them. I think, Why do you think that is? I don't know. I think I take for granted the things that truly interest me, the things that I really research and absorb, I think are probably, like, I take them for granted. I, I take it for granted that I am accumulating a depth of knowledge in one area, and I don't... I don't know why, but I think everyone consciously or unconsciously decides... You develop your skill set based on what you're most interested in, and I think that's an an obvious statement. But I think sometimes our skill sets kind of pick and develop themselves just in the way that we uh, absorb information as we travel places like the internet. Yeah. I think it's... uh, I'm always surprised at what I actually know when I actually hit a topic I'm interested in. Yeah, and I think there is something, um, for instance, I've wondered, some people have a photographic memory about, you know, everything. And I think that many of us, for things that we're really interested in, it's not just like the 10 things that we're interested in, but it is like that one thing that we're really into. And maybe we don't even 
like you said, maybe we're not even fully conscious of it all the time, but we just absorb every little piece of information about it. And then we shock ourselves when, when somebody asks us something about it. And, you know, all this information comes to mind that, that we've accumulated over time, but we just never really think about it. We're just into it. I think, and so it's, it's, a, it's a commitment, but it's not a, it's not a voiced commitment. I think it's partly because in, in the information world that we live in right now, you, you, you're hit with so much information that only some of it can stick. And I think your brain kind of uh, just automatically filters thousands of facts, you know, every day that don't pertain to these kind of sticky centers that it creates. And I'm totally making this up. This has absolutely no basis in any kind of science. But, um, but I think like, I think anything you were interested in, you would probably be able to develop that depth of knowledge without consciously researching it. Mm -hmm. I think there's just so much information flying around that we just kind of have like I don't know, like fly tape sections that just kind of accumulate. Yeah, it's it, yeah. It's, well, it's almost like yeah. There is a there's a section. There's there's the flypaper section where the bits of information that um, that we care about land on. Or at least mm -hmm. we hope they land on it. And then there is there is um, like this other part of our brain that takes all of that other information and we are we are just sweeping it up um by the by the tonnage you know through the day and kind of just pushes it over in the corner and lets it slowly dribble out and yeah. two days later remember some of it three days later less a week a lot of it's gone and it's i mean it's probably a good thing they, they always say that you know if you remembered everything you would probably go crazy right well and and it's odd yeah i won't i've read a lot that's an area that interests me is memory and I started absorbing information about memory and remembering it uh, probably since I was 16 or 17. I've just like this whole idea of black box and, and persistent memory and nodal connections in the brain. And uh, the, the, the idea that all the things you've ever heard or seen are actually stored in your in your brain for mm -hmm. a good period of time. It's just that if you don't make connections to them through other nodes, like uh, through other pieces of information. If you don't make connections between the pieces of information, you lose access to them. So it's like if it was a rote memorization of facts, that's far less likely to be something you remember than if you understand how, how all the pieces tie together. Application, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, of all the stuff that you read from memory, what has been uh, the most helpful to you in terms of figuring out, okay, in in a in a world where all of this stuff is flowing at me all the time, you know, how am I going to be able to how how am I going to be able to manage uh, information flow in my life? I mean, is there something about how the brain works that that you think has been helpful to you in managing that? <laughs> um, do you mean being able to access things that you want to remember, or just remember things that you have to remember? Uh, I think it's the things I want to remember because those are usually the things I struggle to remember uh, quite often. Yeah, I found I found, and I don't remember exactly the source, but uh, by consciously, uh, like mnemonics, for example, like just by connecting a fact to any kind of kind of abstracted principle that you can you can entirely make it up, but just by creating that, the act of creating that connection. As silly as it may be, in the process, you you make that fact almost indelible in your mind. 
So if you, I'm trying to think of an example of a mnemonic, but if you, if you, um, even just make a little game of it, are you saying? Uh, Yeah, it's exactly what I'm saying. So you have to remember that, uh, the, your locker is the fourth one on the right when you're walking towards the concourse. So you would take, uh, you make a sentence, uh, for right concourse, you know, and just like, it doesn't even have to make sense. Just in the process of like saying that and then working to remember the mnemonic, the fourth locker on the right as I'm facing the concourse, just it sticks for me then. That's something I need to do maybe because I've always resisted that because I thought, well, you know, maybe that's a little silly or if anybody caught me doing it, it would it would seem tough. <laughs> Never you know, like repeat them out me. loud. <laughs> that may be the thing. Um, but, you know, like sometimes... I have a tendency to think, well, there needs to be some other kind of artifice that I build around memory, and and that would be too simple. And sometimes, you know, when you reject the simple thing, you actually reject reject the thing that will work. Yeah, I would say that in this case, the uh, the whole Occam's razor, it, it, whatever is easiest for you to associate, make a connection, and remember. Yeah, that's the answer. The other thing I've learned is the subconscious mind is insane. <laughs> the amount of of just information buzzing beneath the surface that you you want to access but you can't it's on the tip of your tongue and then just you go you go to sleep and you wake up with the answer because your subconscious mind has all these all this information that you've processed and not consciously remembered yes that's that whole topic and, and i need to read more um more in depth in-depth scientific information at this point because most of what i've had read is uh kind of uh dumbed down to layman's terms for me um but it's fascinating i find it just amazing what's going on in my head and everyone else's head yeah you know like i I listened to uh, a series of podcasts uh it's called hardcore history and uh, dan carlin does it and he did this six-part series on the fall of the Roman Republic. And uh, it was long. The five, the first five episodes were around an hour and a half each. And the final episode was five and a half hours. It's the longest podcast I've ever, even longer than Syracuse on Hypercurdial. It was the <laughs> longest podcast I've ever listened to in my life. And I finished it today. And, you know, like I was really paying attention to it. But let's face it, you know, our minds wander uh, as we're walking down the street. Uh, we're distracted by something or, you know, we kind of, disappear for a minute and a half and then come back or longer. Um, but in a way, because that stuff was feeding into my head, it's all in there. It's not, it's not certain that I'm going to remember it down the line, but um, I feel like all of it kinds of, kind of makes an impression on me, even if I wasn't present for, yeah, for no. every single second of it. It's the, like you've got the front of mind where you're repeating things people say in your head and just yeah. paying attention. And then there's all that stuff that you don't even know where you heard it because you listen to a five hour long podcast. And I guarantee for me, that would be at least two hours of thinking about something else. Um, Oh yeah. Yeah. And, but I would still, I would still obtain some information, even if I wasn't able to immediately use it in a practical situation, I would still be retaining that information. And, and that's, that's the part that I do find fascinating. Yeah. I mean, it does come back to you and I, I look at it uh, in two ways. One it's in there and I might remember it at some point. It's not like I'm going to be tested on, uh, you know, at this point in my life on, on the Roman Empire. But also I feel like I kind of 
and it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, where we, all this stuff is coming at us all the time. Sometimes I do need, feel like I need to concentrate on something. And it comes back again to this idea of, you know, interests and skills and whether we try to push our knowledge a little deeper than it is. Um, I, sometimes I feel it's just good to concentrate on something. It's like reading a book. It's like, you know, firing up the, the neurons in your brain so that it's not just a kind of passive consumption of a bunch of data, but where you actually, you know, it's probably like you, when you, when you concentrate on coding something, uh, your brain is hard at work. Uh, the same way when you read a book, your brain is hard at work on something. And I feel like as, as much passive information consumption that we do, we also need to have very active kind of uh, consumption or in your case, production going on because that's just it's good for the health of our brain i guess do you think do you think there's a big difference between consumption and production because for me like those coding projects those little i call them rabbit holes i use the phrase a lot but those little uh paths that i go down where i'm solving problems uh they kind of choose me they jump out at me and and they scream solve me and and I'm able to just start processing the problems and coming up with solutions, whether they're the best or not, you know, time tells. But when it comes to actually concentrating on something I want to absorb rather than create, that's where I find I have, it takes the most effort for me to absorb information rather than create it. Is that, is, is that something you see or is that unique to a, diff- a certain personality type? Well, I was trying to figure out like what happens when you sit down and I mean, there, there's a point where you say, okay, I think, I think I know what I'm going to do. And so you start writing code and you're definitely going to be figuring out as you go along. Right. But I mean, that seems to me like that's a really intensive kind of brain activity mode. Like you are spending a lot of time trying to figure something out. You're going to go down paths that won't work for you. You're also trying to kind of hone what it is actually that you want to accomplish or the piece of software that you want to create or the piece of functionality that you want to add to something that didn't exist before. I mean, that's a real kind of creation moment. That it is. It has but to be very engaging. Right. And that's the thing is it's extremely active. Yeah. And I get I get bored really fast, even watching TV, uh, but also with reading, with uh, listening to lectures. Um, I I, my my attention, my ability to absorb information only lasts a certain period of time before I, I get numb. As long as I'm actively trying and interacting and and breaking things and fixing them, I can stay on task for forever. I don't I don't think I think sleep is the only thing that ever stops me. <laughs> but I can sit through a lecture for maybe maybe twenty thirty minutes before I really start wandering. Yeah. I mean, that may just be the the ways in which we're all a little bit different about how we learn. Some people learn by reading. Some people learn by having, you know, somebody talk to them or lecture at them. And other people learn by doing. And maybe, you know, maybe the key to this is that you found the way that works for you for learning. And other ways don't work as well. They can work to a certain extent. But when you actually get in and do something, that's when you really figure things out. And that's when all the other stuff that you've absorbed over time that, you know, maybe almost by osmosis comes back to, you know, aid you as you're, you're putting software together or whatever See, you think, happen to be doing. I think that absolutely happens. Are you saying, though, that, that you, for you it's different? I because I, I'm a little less of a doer, like I like to write and I do a lot of thinking when I write. So there's a kind of doing that that goes on there. But I am 
I am a, a reader, so I'll sit down and I can read for a very long stretch of time, um, you know, like on my iPad or an actual book or remember those um, actual <laughs> books. But, you know, like I, I can do that for a very long time or these epic podcasts that I can pay attention. I'm doing a lot of other things in addition to the podcast. So that's not a, you know, I'm not sitting in a chair with the light turned low or anything like that. But um, yeah, I can... I can absorb into a book and come out of it hours later. Um, and, you know, that'll vary. You know, we all have various moments where we just can't stay attuned to what we want to do. And so that happens to me. But I'm one of those people I can, I can gain a lot from reading. Um, the question I always have is how long I retain it. But I'm a little bit more of a, of a person who learns that way rather than by doing. Yeah. And, and um, I, I was drilled all through school. Uh, I went to... Uh, my grade school years were at a school based on Emerson principles. And we were, you know, constantly tested to see whether we were visual, audio, or tactile learners. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I, uh, far and away, am a, a tactile learner. Um, and it, it it's intriguing to me that other people don't learn by doing, that they actually learn by reading. But I've learned recently that I can actually finish writing a book before I can finish reading a book. <laughs> it's, it's weird. <laughs> oh, it was that the experience of, of writing 60 tips? Or? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I finished writing that book before I finished any of the three novels I'm working on right now. Why is that? Is it just the, is it the fact that you're able, it, when you're writing, you can actually, you, because you're doing, you're yeah. just into it. Yeah. Because, okay. uh, you know, I'm, I'm solving a problem, whether that is putting a sentence together or, or writing code. I'm solving a problem, and therefore my attention stays there. That's not to say I didn't deal with all kinds of motivation issues in the, in, on the way, but, uh, but attention, attention, as long as I'm actively writing or coding, I'm, I'm good. Um, my iPad's beeping. Hold on. I have to... <laughs> I swear I had this all shut down. Have you heard the soundtrack for Monsters Ate My Condo? Because it gets stuck in my head. Um, oh, no. Anyway, I need to uh, I need to read about HelpSpot quickly. Um, HelpSpot is a lifeline for your customer service. With HelpSpot, you can easily convert your chaotic email interactions into structured help desk tickets that can be managed and tracked. Provide customer self service using the integrated portal and automated. And automate escalations and responses. See, you're probably way better at reading these than I am. Um, <laughs> you're real- fine. <laughs> Thanks. Real-time integrated reporting makes it easy to keep tabs on what's happening with your customer service and to identify problems quickly. To learn more, go to helpspot.com slash 5 by 5 All 5x5 five five listeners get $100 off their purchase when they use the offer code 5 by 5 And uh, organize your customer service with helpspot.com. Okay. So Can I ask you a question then yes, about this motivation thing? Okay. So uh, a book, no matter what size, uh, involves deadlines. It involves expectations. Yes. Um, even if you're, you know, um, even if it's just, you know, you and, and David Sparks working on it, there still is a, a level of, you know, we got to get this thing done. We want to get this out. You know, Absolutely. it needed to come out after pretty fast after Mountain Lion. Uh, <laughs> how do you do that? <laughs> yeah, we supposed to come out a lot faster after Mountain Lion, I'll tell you that. <laughs> well, it seemed like it came out pretty fast. It, it did all right. Um, I have I have a major problem w- w- when when there's a deadline, uh, finding the motivation. I, I've heard it said many ways, uh, 
eloquently by Merlin Mann, but um, the first step, it's taking that first step. And that's, if I can work up the motivation to just write a sentence, I'm usually pretty good to go from there. If I can work up the motivation to sit down, shut off Twitter, you know, close my web browser and just write something, anything, once I get going, I'm fine. Like I do, I do articles sometimes and uh, usually have a six to 700 word minimum. And spending an evening writing 700 words can be a very daunting task until I write the first 10. And once I have the first 10 down, I'll have 800, 900 words and have to edit it down. Um, it's just, uh, I don't know if it's mo- discipline. It, there's a certain amount of discipline that I have to muster up to get started with that. But deadlines cause me massive brain freezes. I guess if you can think of a book as, well, I, you know, I mean, in this way, in with 60 tips, it was a set of, it was a collection of tips so that, you know, each thing is compartmentalized. Very broken down, can, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it almost becomes possible to say, this is my, this is my chunk that I'm going to do right now, that I'm going to do another one tomorrow, that I'm going to do another one, you know, mm-hmm. the day after that. Yeah. So it's daunting that way, I guess. Very much. Like I, I break everything down. I do it immediately. Uh, I use mind maps a lot for that, where I just kind of take a big topic, take a main topic, and then just start splitting it off into whatever logical, uh, you know, compartments that I can create. And then break those down further and further until I get to sections that I feel like oh, I can tackle that one thing right now. And and a lot of times, like, that'll get me flowing and I can move on to the next section. It doesn't have to be like, all right, well, that was it for today. It's just, yeah, uh, breaking it down into manageable chunks. I wouldn't do well without mind maps. Yeah, I I tend to do a little bit of outlining. There are times, like, I, I write a lot of blog posts for work and, and stuff like that. And sometimes, you know, it's just in you and it is ready to burst out. And so I can barely sit down at the computer fast enough and start typing for it to to come all spilling out. And then other times I don't really kind of feel that motivation, but I still have to get it done. So I, you know, the outline kind of helps me. And I think it is that, you know, that first few words, I think for a lot of us, it's that it's just getting started. That just makes it a whole mm-hmm. lot easier. And and I've used that uh, a lot of times to just say, okay, come on, just, you know, I'll sit and let it stew for a while, but eventually I've got to put something on paper. But once I start going, it's, it's not so bad. Do you ever have the uh, kind of the opposite where you are bursting with so many ideas that you can't start with any of them? Yeah, occasionally. I get blogging really gets me so excited that I've started thinking that um I I I blogged way back in the day, back like the original blog before Google bought it. And I did a lot of blogging over the years and I kind of got out of it. Um and lately I've started thinking that maybe I should get back into it because I enjoy it so much. Um, and sometimes it does happen that I get so excited that I can't literally make it happen um, because I just like it feels like there are 10 ideas going to come out. And I, yeah. And I'm just yeah. trying to like, OK, slow down, get one out um, and then I'll forget the other ones because I haven't decided, you know, I'm going to write it down. Um, it's you know, it's it's a little bit of a control element for me too to be able to say, OK, just calm down and focus on, on what you got to do right now. So you, you, you said outline the word outline a few times. Do you, do you ever use mind maps? I haven't used them very often. I know a number of people who do. And so, um, I've been in projects before with friends of mine who will send me mind maps. Um, you know, I understand kind of the utility of them, but I've never done it. I mean, it really interests me that, that you do that. Um, because, 
I guess what I would say about it is that um, maybe it's that I don't think visually in that kind of way. I, I don't know. Like, I feel like some people can mind map and some people will just outline in a very standard kind of, you know, indent kind of way. There, there are multiple... You've got your mind map, your your typical Buzan mind map, which is actually primarily pictures. Okay. Like the concepts are are best defined by simple iconic pictures. Uh, and then you've got all the way back to like a concept map where you're actually, it is an outline just in a more uh, nonlinear format. I do something kind of in between where I stick with, you know, short phrases and then you just kind of branch. If, if, if something takes more than four words to explain in a, in a node, it, it gets branched off. And I think I, I don't consider it overly visual. What, what it does for me is give me a way to quickly add ideas to multiple concepts without having to sort them in a linear fashion in a list. It just kind of okay. lets my, and, and as far as I can tell from research that I've read, everyone's brain actually works that way where it radiates off of central topics and, and branches out. Not, I don't think anyone's brain actually works in a list. That yeah, totally know, makes sense. Yeah. I, I, I would evangelize for mind mapping if that were a religion or, or something I got paid to do, but I don't, <laughs> um, I, I, I would anyway. So I would highly recommend mind mapping to anyone, especially for blogging and writing. It makes, it makes that task of compartmentalizing ideas, and it's especially useful when you have so many ideas that you're overwhelmed by the topic. So um, maybe what I'm missing is that middle piece where you've created the mind map, and then you need to execute. Uh -huh. um, what happens right in the middle? There? OPML happens. <laughs> okay. um, see, what I do is, like a mind map... It, it, standard and in my in my practice, um, it, it it goes from right to left, starting in the upper right above the center node, and then uh, clockwise around, and so you create kind of an order. So it it is very much an outline still. Okay. And then in most applications, or on less so on paper, but in most applications, you can quickly drag and reorder things once. Once you've brainstormed and once you've just kind of radiated all the ideas out into this splatter on the page, you can then drag them around into a clockwise pattern. And then I export that to OPML, import it into multi-markdown composer, and it creates a markdown outline with all of my topics, subtopics, and, and headers. And then I just fill in the blanks. Nice. It's actually it's a beautiful system, and you can with uh, things like iThoughts HD, you can you can create your mind map on your iPad and then drop it straight into Multi Markdown Composer, and it's nice. Oh, that's helpful because I never really understood how to take the initial um, what I would say note taking creation kind of the idea phase and translate that into something. And I think you're right. I mean, outlines are not normal. And so what you end up doing is you're trying to you're trying to force all of the way you think into some kind of structure that feels very foreign. Um and and frankly you I, I think you know I can spend a lot of time trying to create an outline around something uh that in fact um if I really stood back and look at it probably the outline is is not workable. I'm doing that right now with wine, with Italian wine. 
by region in Italy and, and then the various varietals. And actually, by the time I get done, I'll probably look back at it and think, yeah, the outline was not the way to do this at all. Um, I don't know what the right way was, but, you know, it's typical to say, well, you know, like in grade school I, or in high school, I outlined all of my things before I wrote about them. And so here I we wish, go with the bullet points and the, the blocks and all the rest. I wish, that, well, see, like the index cards, did you ever, did they ever have you do like creative writing assignments using index cards or reports? Yes, I hated that. See, but it's kind of the same thing where where you you don't have to have them in order on your desk. You just start writing different topics on different index cards and filling in your synopses, and then you can kind of scatter them around and put them in the order you want to. Yeah, that totally makes sense. I guess maybe I was just always so OCD because I wanted everything. <laughs> I wanted to write down and and like it's like some people write a draft and then they they go back and work out, and some people compose through compose. And I always wanted to have a finished product as I was creating. And maybe I just have to say, you know, that's not what this is about. I just have to. Well, and maybe that comes down, down to paper. personality, but. <laughs> it obviously is revealing something about my personality. Uh, and mine as well, um, that I'm scattered and, and never see a finished product until I actually have a finished product. But you've got a lot of finished products behind you. In my opinion, in my mind, there are very few things in my life that I've actually finished because nothing I do actually has a like a finish line. Well, except well, in writing sixty tips was kind of uh, that was the first time I felt like I put something to bed. Yeah, like I really it's done. I, there's not you know bug fixes and customer service and all of this. I mean, sure there are going to be mistakes, and I'm I've already found a couple, but it's a it's a finished product. I could I could I could put out a uh, an, another edition, or I could put out a. Uh, I think iBooks lets you publish, like update. You can update a a, a yeah. book. Yeah, I'll probably do that, but it's really it's a one time update. Yeah, it's like software. Software never is really done never until you decide you're not going to work on it anymore. But otherwise, software it's is a, like art projects. Yes, art school was art school made me realize that. Creative pursuits, you're, they're never finished. Like you're finished when you get to the critique. But yeah. even then, in your own head, you had a hundred more things you were going to do to whether it's a charcoal drawing or a large sculpture or whatever. It's never done. And maybe that's the nice thing about software is that you can declare it done for the moment, but you're always going to come back and think of something tomorrow that you want to do, or, or you know, you're going to get feedback that says, you know, add this feature or something. It's, it's, it's should, done, but it's done in a provisional sense. Right. Well, and, and the fact that you can update it, like you're not going to go back and do Mona Lisa 2.0. <laughs> and like no one's going to accept that. It's right. done. It's on display. You're finished. You can't touch it anymore. And that's what's nice about software is it maintains malleability. And you can put a version number on it and say, this is, you know, I tagged it right here. This is the snapshot. This is where it is. But I'm going to keep working on it and we'll yeah. we'll keep you posted. Podcasting is kind of the same way. I mean, you wrap the bow up on a show, but the show is not done. There's an episode next week, and then there's one after that. You know, and I suppose that's good if you feel like one week's show, like this one, for instance, maybe didn't go well or whatever. You know, you're like, oh well, I got I've got the week's show after that. Actually, um, I think this is going really well because we've accidentally already stumbled into what I had written down for my second topic, which would be note taking. Here we are. Um, Notes. Yeah, so I mean, we've talked about brainstorming so far. Yeah. Okay. Um, what about uh, 
let's see. You had mentioned that you often take notes on just short conversations just because with the amount of information that we deal with every day, a short conversation can be lost in memory quickly. Yeah. And here's how I kind of found this out. Um, I'm at a new job and there are a lot of things about this job I like. Um, and I think all of us have this with jobs. There are things we love about the job, and then there are things we like about the job, and then there are things we don't like as much about the job, but they're not that bad, and you hope that you don't have things that you hate about the job. And what I found is, is that there were, there were things I just always remembered because they were the things I was most interested in about my job. And there were other things I didn't remember very well. And I would I, I noticed after I've been in this new job now six months, probably about three months in, I started to realize there were things I simply was not remembering. And some of it was simple kinds of facts. Or somebody said to me, uh, I had this, like, you know, I have people report to me and they say, like, I, I had this conversation with this person and we talked about this particular topic and we arrived at this decision. And I'll say, okay. <laughs> and go along my merry way. And then a week later, somebody says something to me and I think, oh, I haven't heard that at all. And so I go back to the person and said, so what, what about this thing? And they said, oh, remember, I told you that before. I mean, I'm not even being a bastard and going back and, you know, yelling at anybody. It's more like I'm just, I, I don't know about that. What, tell me about this. And they'll say, oh, you know, actually, <clears throat> I uh, told you about that, you know, two weeks ago. Um, what I found is, is that... Um, the kind of note taking I was taking in meetings or even simple, like I would take notes in meetings, but I would not take notes in simple conversations with people. And I don't know if it is simply the, the long, slow path to derangement that I'm undergoing or age, or like I said, a job that is different. And so has different kinds of requirements and is, you know, something I'm still getting used to. Um, but I discovered that I, kind of have to be a lot more specific about notes. Uh, when I talk to somebody now and they tell me something, uh, I'm usually not, you know, like saying, oh, stop, I'm going to write this, some, you know, type this on my phone or I'm going to type it on the computer, but I'll often take a, a paper note, just make a little kind of notation or something about it. And then I do write it down. Um, I use, you know, like a lot of people, I use NV alt on, on MacBook pro and, and my other computers. And I use, uh, uh, simple note. And I, you know, I, I just, I keep these notes and it gets a little bit voluminous after a while. And I wouldn't say that my process for having all this information is, you know, that it's organized all perfectly, but that's where search comes in. But I have to, there, there my job has a level of requirement around it, around minutia. Um, that is enough that I am discovering that I need to take care of it. And this was probably the case in other jobs, but maybe I was able to skate around it and say, well, you know, I just don't, I don't need to know that. Or I don't mind not remembering that, you know, somebody will remind me. Um, I'm at the point now where I think I'm, I'm not going to let, I'm not going to force, how would I say this? I'm not going to force someone to remind me about something all the time when I can really kind of make an effort to remember it. Or somebody drops you an email and asks a question and I can just go back and search. Oh yeah, that's the answer to that. So sorry that's to go what, up on a long thing about it, but that's, that's cool. you know, I'm learning that. I do that a lot of times. If someone tells me something important that I know that we're going to come back to, I know they're going to say, did you put this on the calendar? Did you, uh, say, did you pass this information on to so-and-so? I always ask that they email me. 
because it's an automatic note. It's an automatic paper trail. But when it comes to kind of broad general strokes and, and quick conversations with people, I, I find that just writing anything about the conversation down means I remember the conversation. Like my least favorite thing to hear from anybody, one of my least favorite things, there are a lot, but um, one of my least favorite things is here. Oh, yeah, I met you uh, two months ago. We had lunch. Yeah, because because I don't remember it and, and it, it kills me. But if I after meeting somebody or after talking to someone in the hallway, if I just scratch a quick note with their name, like I'm ever in a hallway, uh, I work from home, but uh, I, I, I get out to coffee houses. And if I just write down a name and a topic, the act of writing it down creates those connections I was talking about, yeah. kind of that mnemonic. And I don't even have to ever reference that note. I don't even need to keep it. But that process of writing it down and thinking about, you know, what was what did we just talk about? What was the topic? I write it down and all of a sudden it it it, it hits my active memory. Yeah. Yeah. I somebody told me once about being in a room with a number of executives of of major companies and they had this meeting and they came to a set of decisions and also outlined tasks for each other. <laughs> and he said each one of those executives um didn't and this was back in the day before you know PDAs and before phones that that f- didn't flip open you know the right. I mean this is back this is back a while ago and they you know some of them just pulled out a note card and made a little notation or they just said okay I'll take care of that and he said what amazed me is that all of them did the things that they were supposed to do because they all remembered them and I think that's amazing and that's pretty cool but I'm not in that space so yeah, I have either. to. I gotta, I gotta come up with it, and I guess I'm learning through trial and error that uh, that the level of detail I need to keep. And again, I think it's like you said, you don't, I don't have to go back and look at all of these notes again. But sometimes it is just the fact that I bothered to write it down. Like I, I spent an extra fifteen or twenty seconds processing the information as I was writing it in. That actually takes care of it. So, like on the fly in the moment, do you do you uh, take general notes and then go back and fill in details, or do you take detailed notes? in the heat of the moment? It's kind of like my outlining world back in the day. I used to take very detailed notes and it, it just got a little ridiculous because I, I would lose track of where I was in the meeting if I went down a mental path and was trying to think something out. So now I tend to take very short notes and then I'll go back after the meeting and, and add in a few things. Usually it's not all that much, but you know, just that little bit of fleshing out kind of the you details. Know, just thinking of a key word, like if I had to search this again, what word would I want to put in this note? And just, yeah, do it up, spend another minute on it or so, and then file it away. Um, yeah, and that's it's going to be a topic for another show, but I think that that, uh, that search keyword is yeah. really... It's, I, think, I think I could probably do a few shows on how to make notes useful after the fact. Yeah. Like, there's the, the, the memory that you create when you take the note is, is, to me, the most important part of taking a note. But then there's always those details that you filled in, the specifics that you are going to need to reference, and it may be, you know, a year later, and and how you get back to it. And I've talked about it a little bit before, but I I, I might have you back on to talk about how uh, how you make notes useful. Um, well, there are a lot of different. I mean, some people do, you know, tags like Simple Note. You know, the iOS app has um, mm-hmm. tags, and I I did about 
you know, I've got like 780 notes on there and probably 10 of them got tags because I, <laughs> when they thought, oh, I'm going to do tags. And then I realized I don't have time to do tags. If I spend time tagging, you know, I'm, I'm going to be an old man before all this stuff is finished. So, you know, then I just thought, well, I just have to make sure that the notes, without getting voluminous about it, just like have a word, just like there's got to be something like there's certain kinds of like, even at work, certain kinds of training that we're doing with stations. I just make sure that I put, you know, some little notation that I, that I know that's accepted that we use inside the building to talk about the training. So if I do a search for it, it'll come up along with probably a bunch of other notes. Yeah. And that's exactly, uh, because there's no tagging system that's completely universal. Right. Like, I mean, like NVLT takes, it, it, it accepts tags and it applies them as open meta tags on files. But when you load that up in any, uh, non simple note iOS app, you've lost all your tags. Yeah. So that keyword that that finding the right keyword that you're going to remember to search for, you know, after you've forgotten, that's that's really that's the trick. That's that's the it, the key not to be redundant, but that's really the key to the whole thing. Yeah. And it seems like the simpler it is, uh, the better. And and not all of us are, are blessed with a job that's, you know, has is very simple. We've all got a lot of complication <laughs> in our lives. But, you know, like keeping that tag list pretty small it's probably the best way to absolutely best. yep um so can i tell you about hover yeah okay here we go the, this one's this one's medium length i think i can do it without uh <laughs> without messing up so hover.com is domain management simplified you've probably registered a domain before and been inundated with offers for services you're not interested in when all you want is a simple .com, .net, .co, or .tv address. Hover makes it easy. Just enter the domain name you're interested in into their search box, and Hover will tell you if it's available. If not, it'll come up with related suggestions. You can also just type in a few keywords, and Hover will automatically figure out some available domains using those terms for you, like an advanced robotic concierge at a mechanical unicorn hotel. <laughs> I used that one before, but, but we're going to roll with it. I copy-pasted. Um, they have real human beings available for support and their number is right on the front page of their website. If you have any problems, just pick up the phone and call. They have a no hold policy. Someone just answers the phone. Seamless transfers from other providers, elegant DNS management, email hosting, and more. And even though I'm not Dan, if you use the code Dan sent me or visit hover.com slash Dan sent me, you'll get 10% off of everything you buy from hover.com. Boom. Done. Do it. Yeah. Um, so my favorite part of the show now, uh, our top three picks. All right. Would you like to go first or shall I? I'll I'll start with one. And I, I feel kind of bad because this is a piece of software that I, I kind of like, although I noticed that the latest update is is not getting uh, the kind of stars that the uh, the developers probably wanted uh, in the in the app store so uh but it's still working for me for the moment it's uh, analog the uh the picture the the image editor yeah, yeah. Uh, i really like it and i'm not one of those people who knows how to use uh photoshop uh photoshop was always too much for me and so for the longest time i would just you know dump things into iphoto and i would use the very simple uh, kind of tools that they have there for it. Or, you know, I wouldn't even do a lot of that. I would uh, share something on Instagram and I would use, I wouldn't get too crazy with the filters, but I like to use a filter just to do some color correction and that kind of thing on it. And, you know, some of those photos can turn out really nice. And you, you think, 
you know, 10 years down the line, this isn't going to look stupid. It actually looks pretty good. But I've used analog in the same kind of way on the computer to go back and dig into photos. And a lot of times, like I said, it's very simple color correction. I'm not trying to create a bunch of really, you know, wild things, but occasionally black and white. Um, I just like the fact that I can create something that's a little nicer than what I've, uh, than what I started out with. Uh, using analog. The filters are really nice and uh, it's pretty simple for someone like me without a deep level of image editing experience uh, to dig into. So like I said at the moment, it looks like the current update is getting some um, getting some complaint from some users but I've been pretty pleased with it all along. Yeah, I like analog. Um, yeah, it's real Mac. I know a few of those guys and yeah. they are excellent developers and awesome people. Um, I am pretty darn good at photoshop but i still like these uh these kind of one-off filter apps Mm -hmm. i find them when i'm when i'm you know like touching up a photo that's not being put onto a billboard i don't really want to load photoshop (laughs) right you know and i i do a lot of uh correction and adjustment in acorn but i really enjoy analog and uh flare and a couple of these others. There's a lot of them now, but analog was one of the first and definitely uh, one that I go to rather frequently, actually. Yeah, it's really, and, and you know, I don't have anything on billboards. I think the most sharing I've ever done in front of people is on on Facebook. And so, you know, it's just something really quick and, and dirty to come up with something that looks nice, or at least nicer than what I started with. Let me tell you, designing for billboards is high pressure. <laughs> I bet. High pressure. Uh, I would hate modeling for billboards, I think. That would be only the, that would be the worst thing. To know I, my I face think. was going to be like eight feet tall, that would be. Yeah, although they do so much touch-up work that I think even models must look at it and go, "Wow, I look a lot better than I thought I would." Or is that me? <laughs> True. I didn't. I thought I was way fatter than that. Um, <laughs> okay, so my first pick is a game that is um, actually not Monsters Ate My Condo. <laughs> it's the other game I've been playing. It's called Boost Two. Have you seen it? No, I'm it's, going to it right now. It's like a, a very Tron-esque. Uh, you're in a tunnel. There's really no texture to it. It's just It looks very simplistic, but these color shapes start flying at you. And it's all accelerometer-based. So it's like driving a car, except you're going around. You can do loop-to-loops inside of a tunnel, and then the tunnel opens up and flattens out. And then eventually you're on the outside of like a, a cylinder, and you're 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 spiraling around it and your the whole goal is not to run into stuff and it sounds simple it even looks simple but it's addictive it looks really simple i think i'd love this game and i do i love simple games and and it's the kind of thing you're rarely going to make it more than maybe four minutes five minutes before your your run is over so it's a perfect like waiting room kind of game other than the fact that you're like flailing your ipad around (laughs) <laughs> um oh I I did think I think I forgot to mention it's an iPad game but I actually don't nice. know if it's a, I don't think it's on my iPhone. I forget Do you to play look. more games on 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 the iPad than on the iPhone or does it just depend on the type of game? It depends on on both the type of game and where I'm playing. Um if I'm generally if I'm out and about uh you know like waiting for an appointment or something I only have my iPhone with me. So then I play games that I prefer to play on my iPhone. If I'm, say, in the bathroom at home, more than likely going to have my iPad there. And 
if I had the option, I prefer my iPad. Do you have trouble with game? Like I, the problem I have with games, and what I like about this is that uh, the timeline on it is pretty short. I can get really lost, like like extremely lost in games, and not come out of them for a very long time. Endless mode on Monsters Ate My Condo is very <laughs> dangerous for me because I I will get up to a trillion points and wow. realize that I just lost like forty five minutes to an hour of my time just flicking boxes back and forth. Yeah, it's an addictive part of my personality. And and luckily, it's that's about the worst uh, thing that I get addicted to. But games <laughs> really, really draw me in like that. Yeah, they can be dangerous, uh, at least for time management. I like this one, though. Yeah, like I said, it's generally a run for me is like 60 to 90 seconds. It's just a great, like, I just pick it up go for a run, I get like an adrenaline boost out of it, have fun, and then I can just set it down. Game over. Perfect. Perfect. All right, so what you got for number two? Okay, this uh, this app has been out for a while. In fact, I think it's been out for about a year, but it got an update, um, and it kind of gets to the food part of me that I like. It's uh, Chef's Feed. And uh, Chef's Feed initially started with uh, essentially locales around the country and chefs and then dishes that they liked at other restaurants besides their own. And so you could go to a city and you could, uh, you know, use the locator or choose the city. And then you could find dishes that, re- that, uh, that well-known chefs in that city thought were really good at various restaurants. And it was a relatively simple application. It was kind of fun. And they had uh, a number of, uh, like even in Boston, they had uh, a couple hundred, I think, of recommendations from chefs at various restaurants all over the city. So it was kind of fun. But they've done a new update now that has added in a social, and sometimes I kind of roll my eyes at the social stuff because mm-hmm. it seems like everybody just wants to do it. But I think they've done it in kind of a nice way. It's, you know, it's a Facebook kind of share. And you can turn it on or turn it off if you want to. Um, you can say, oh, I ate, you know, X dish. I ate, you know, steak freed at, you know, La 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 restaurant and and probably Instagram it with a picture if you want or whatever. But you can you can post to Twitter or Facebook and that kind of thing. But they've also improved the recommendations and the photos are really nice. And even in a city where you um, live and you have, you know, pretty good connection to, you know, the restaurants that you like and what you want to do, sometimes it's kind of fun on a Friday night or a Saturday night or a Monday night or whatever to say, um, you know, click <laughs> and just see what comes up and, you know, scroll through and you can, uh, with the, with the GPS, you can, you know, obviously locate to closest to you or, um, a little ways away from you, try a new restaurant that you've not been to before, or choose a favorite chef who you think is really good. I have some in Boston that I really like, and I'll look to see what they've recommended at other places or a new city that you happen to go to. I, you know, I wouldn't say that I would use this all the time, but um, I've had it on my phones in the past, and uh, they just updated it a few days ago, and so I went back to it, and uh, I've done a couple of the dishes at restaurants uh, in the past few days, in part just kind of playing with it. Um, because they have beefed it up a little bit. And I, I like that every once in a while. There's something recreational and kind of fun about it. And it's a way to, you know, all of us eat and all of us go out to restaurants. And so sometimes it's kind of fun to just shake it up a little bit. I cannot begin to tell you how much I miss being in a city where there are restaurants I haven't heard of. <laughs> yeah, where I grew up with, we had Pizza Hut, Hardee's, and we got a McDonald's, and it was the biggest thing in the world. 
we have we have that and we have a few good mom and pop restaurants but i have i have definitely heard of every restaurant in town (laughs) and i am anxious to go on a trip now and try this app out because i love i love eating and i love eating out and i don't mind paying for a good meal if it's uh if it's exciting i like exciting food Yeah. And they're not trying to make this into some giant foodie thing. A lot of it, you know, like I feel like chefs, especially when they go out and eat at other restaurants, they they like comfort food. They just like, you know, regular food. Some of the some of the restaurant recommendations are pretty high level, but most of them are like, you know, I I just really love uh, like what I had the other day at Tagliatelle Bolognese. You know, this this woman uh, is a well-known chef in Boston and around the country says, you know, I make a pretty good Bolognese myself, but this woman's restaurant comes up with the best. I love it. You know, that's to me, that's nice. just comfort food. It's pasta and sauce. You mm-hmm. know? I like it. What's it called again? Chef's feed. Chef's feed. All right. Yes. I will link that in the show notes. It sounds wonderful. I'll be headed to New York in a while. I'll be looking oh, yep. forward to using it. All right. My second one is going to get laughed at, but, uh, you know, QR codes. <laughs> yeah. That uh, like the whole idea is ridiculous and people do horrible things with them um, and feel obligated to use them just to put a link on a poster. And however, I do. I love the artistic possibilities of integrating QR codes into other elements without making them just big blobs of black and white check marks. Um, And there's a new app called IQR Codes that lets you embed logos and change colors and, and uh, add uh, rounded edges and control like uh, the number of curves, the amount of detail, the color of the corner markers and borders and all of that and, uh, and add gradients to fill and background. And you can actually start to create QART. Is that a word? Wow. Yeah. So you can actually like embed, you can embed images inside the QR code that don't you, destroy you can, the QR. Right. You can build a QR code around, say, a logo or an image, and you can make it look mm, tasteful. I think, <laughs> I think I would, it's a stretch to call it tasteful, but, um, but you can make it look cool and still have the QR code work. I've been experimenting with how far I can push it and still make it readable on my iPhone, like with like a uh, red laser or uh scan pro or whatever it is i've been using i don't even remember but oh this is kind of interesting i haven't seen this before it's a mac app and it's uh yeah i'd call it interesting there's a there's a restaurant here in boston and it may happen elsewhere too but this restaurant serves food uh i don't think they do this on all their dishes but on one of their dishes they serve the food over in one corner it's like an appetizer and then they have done a qr code in squid ink that I guess you would <laughs> you would take a you would take a picture of, and then it gives you information about where the the produce and stuff came That's from. That's brilliant. I yeah, I feel like I, I'm kind of like you about QR codes. I'm kind of like, oh, for God's sake, you know. But but when somebody does something like that, yes. I think that's kind of fun. So you can embed all kinds of cool information into those, like and and you can even link them to cool resources, and yes. just to repeat your web address. it's ridiculous, but that right there, that's awesome. Yeah. It's not the, you know, find us on Facebook. This is actually like something that's kind of like really interesting and unusual, or at least it's just, you know, artistically, even it looked really cool. Like I thought, how would they get embarrassed by? Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Okay. All right. I'm done. 
Okay, my third one, um, I can't remember if uh, you or any of your guests have brought it up. It's been getting a lot of attention, but I'm bringing, I'm, I'm bringing up NetBot because, um, you know, like a lot of people, I went over on, uh, what are we calling it now? Are we still on alpha? Are we back to app.net? Or? I think we're just ADN now. ADN, yes. Okay. So, uh, I, you know, sometimes it really, it, well, I think everybody said this about Twitter back in the day. You know, Twitter really kind of became something when the apps started developing, you know, with Twitterific and going on mm-hmm. from there. And um, there are a lot of other apps out there, and I'm not going to, you know, knock any of them down because there are a lot of developers trying some interesting things. And I've used a number of them on iOS and on uh, a little bit less so on the Mac uh, for for app.net. But the ADN app for iOS that I like a lot is uh, from TapBot. Um, uh, Netbot. I've used Tweetbot for a long time. I some people think it's a little quirky or a little weird, but I I really love the interface and I love how it works. And I have a bunch of Twitter apps, and I I tend to go back and forth among them. But I always come back to Tweetbot, and so having Netbot uh, for me was the point where instead of posting like once a week on ADN, I now actually, you know, will post multiple times a day because I've got an easy app to get into. In the same way that on, on not to make this a two recommendation, but um, Wedge on, on the Mac, uh, for me, is a nice environment in order to, to get into ADN in the Mac world. So I have it open and I'm actually interacting with it. And like I said, sometimes it just takes someone to come in and, and do some work around that. And so, you know, I think that that App.net has a really interesting environment. They're, they're trying to be as open as they can. They're definitely, you know, making a statement about this and have all along about the kind of operation that they want to be. And it seems like for developers that, you know, they're, they're noticing that they can get in and not only um, really make some great apps that leverage the functionality and the API that's behind this, um, and also, frankly, charge a little bit more money um, and I noticed mm-hmm. a number of them are pushing up the price point a little bit, and I don't feel bad about you know supporting developers who who do really good work, so I'm willing to pay for that. But there's a kind of an interesting sort of separate little I, I wouldn't call it a separate ecosystem, but something is happening here that's a little different from the rest of the app world in in terms of price point and in terms of of the relationship between um, a system like ADN and uh, an ecosystem of developers behind it. So I'm, I'm kind of excited by it. And like I said, it just helped me use the service more. Absolutely. I, I saw a huge explosion in app.net ADN activity yeah. after NetBot was released. And I didn't even realize what was happening at first. I just saw like my follower count, uh, my stream was like everything just suddenly more populated. Like it just got conversational. Like all of a sudden it wasn't just like the place that people were announcing things that they thought were important that they already announced on Twitter. It was just like conversations started happening and NetBot really, there's, there's a bunch of, of uh, little apps available on both iOS and Mac, but NetBot definitely generated the interest and created the usability that um, I think has been a real turning point for the app.net community. Yeah, I think, you know, you think back to the days of Twitter. Um, you were probably early on Twitter. I was early on Twitter. And, you know, you would open up the web page. And I, I realize most, you know, most people still use a web page for Twitter. And Twitter probably prefers that. But back in the day, we didn't really have any other option. And so just the number of times that we would actually think to open the browser and, 
Dude, Dude, you had Mood Blast from the very beginning. No one remembers Mood Blast. That's okay. Oh my gosh, I barely remember that. Yeah, I wrote Mood Blast because um, because I hated going to the web page and there was no other option at the time. So I just wrote something that I could pop up and just send a status message without even opening a web browser. That was solving a problem. I, I beat Twitterific to market with that. I just oh, forgot I to charge anything. Oh, I did not know that. So really, you're kind of one of the the very first Twitter apps. It was it was my first. I I learned what an API was pretty much at that point. Like I had used services before, but I actually learned how to program for an API when Twitter came out. And so you just yeah. opened it up and just started playing around in there. Is that how you did yeah. that? Wow. Yeah, and then I made that. It was like a little app that would post to Facebook and Twitter and um, Jaiku and oh, yeah. things I don't even remember. Pounce? Do you remember Pounce? Yeah, it did Pounce. It did Pounce. It did, a co- it did one that was like, there was a service that would only live for about a year, and I can't remember at all what it was called, but it did nine different services all at once. Wow. I kind of, yeah, I, I learned what an API was, and then I looked for APIs everywhere. <laughs> and and thus began the uh, the other story of uh, Brett Terpstra, the life beyond AOL. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. My my other uh my other life. Exactly. Um okay. So Netbot is awesome. I love yeah. it. I'm using it daily as well. Um I, I tell me is Wedge is Wedge pretty awesome on the Mac? I do like it. Um, I, I've seen some people have been talking about other apps, and I, I just have barely um, – what I've been doing over the past several weeks is doing the browser window kind of thing with with ADN. And so I just installed Wedge – what was it, on Friday, I think? And so I've used it over the weekend. I really like it because to me it's very similar to uh, – um, to well, it, it's similar to the, the TweetBot experience in, in now beta – yeah. for Mac um, in that kind of little window in which it sits. Uh, and, and I kind of like that uh, environment. So it's a very, very familiar setup, and I find it pretty easy to use. Um, nicely functional, too, just having you know flown out of the coop here in the, in the past couple of weeks. So I do like that one, but I've, I barely uh, scratched the surface on, on the kind of work that's being done on the Mac for ADN. Cool. I've tried them all, and I haven't been overly happy with any of them. So I have Wedge installed. I will load it up later and see if it's uh, a little closer to what I'm hoping for. It looks smooth. Let's see good. what you think about that. Yeah. And my third pick, um, since you kind of got to do a double, I'm going to do a double. <laughs> um, uh, I guess the the main pick would be an app called Shush. And mm-hmm. it's a push to talk for your mic on a Mac. So I can, uh, when I make, I got this new headset that doesn't have a microphone. I mean, a mute button. Oh yeah. Okay. So I can hold down my, by default it's muted now. And I hold down the function key to talk. And when I let go, it's on mute again. So I don't, I'm not sneezing. My dogs barking aren't interrupting conference calls and things. Oh, nice. So, and this is the app store. Okay. Yeah. Got it. And then the other wow. one, the other half of this, cause I think I may have mentioned Shush before, but the other half I learned about from, uh, Michael Schechter, um, it's mute my mic, which does the opposite, puts your mute button on a hotkey so that you can toggle it. Um, and, uh, it, Michael's sh- suggestion was to, 
attach that to a, a gesture on a trackpad using better touch tool. Oh, nice. So, yeah. so on my, on my trackpad, a four finger swipe down without clicking, just, you know, a touch turns my mute on. So like, as I'm talking to you, if I need to blow my nose or, or, you know, make a cough or any kind of noise, um, I can just swipe quietly on my trackpad and be muted with no click, no, no, uh, tap, nothing. It's actually a really good idea. I love that because it's just like uh, it's just like having a soundboard in front of you at a radio station yeah. or wherever. I'm, I'm very used to that where you just pot yourself down for a second. Yeah. Oh, I so love that. I didn't even know about this. Good combination. Shush and mute my mic. Nice. Bought it. <laughs> do you have better touch tool? No, I do not. You have to get that. It's free. And you, if you have any kind of touch input device, you should not be without it. Yeah, I'll do that for my trackpad. Yeah. And I love it on my MacBook Air and Mac Pro or MacBook Pro. It's so nice. I'm trying not to type too loudly because I have I can't uh, hear I, a thing. I just got the I just got the Rode Podcaster uh, microphone because I was using a broadcast one that had to run through a little mixer and it injected a lot of noise in. Yeah. It's one of those things you start thinking about when you when you actually listen to yourself after you record for a while. It's like where is that hiss coming from? Yeah, I found that with like I'm using a Yeti right now with a direct USB connection, but my favorite mic is a condenser with an icicle on it, and that that it does add noise. It adds a noise bed that you really can't prevent. No no amount of gain adjustment really fixes that. Yeah, and for recordings that I make, I don't want to go in and do a lot of noise reduction because the noise reduction has artifacts, and so yep. yeah, this is much better. So anyway, all right. Um, what's your uh, your ADN username? Uh, Todd Munt, T-O-D-D-M-U-N-D-T. And that's kind of across everything. Twitter I was going to say, and, that's and Twitter as well. Yeah. And uh, so you can find Todd uh, Todd Munt on Twitter and app.net. And uh, do you have a website you send people to? I usually say toddmunt.com, but that I think is currently just going to one of my Tumblr sites. I've been thinking about going back into the into the blogging world and actually writing again, but I haven't done it. So at the moment, that that particular domain just kind of floats <laughs> um, to whatever it's it's the ease of using hover you know you could just say like go to this site so i i think i'm redirecting it to a tumblr at the moment well i will i will link that page and wherever you decide to point it uh already then that's where people will end up and i am brett terpstra uh tt scoff on twitter and app.net and just about everywhere that's across the board as well and that is episode 13 of Systematic. And thanks a lot for being here, Todd. Thank you. And until next week, I'm Brett Terpstra, and I probably still will be next week, but, uh, but time will tell. And either way, have a great week. <laughs>